This is going to be a a real treat to have Pastor John Clark speaking for us today. Pastor John, I've known him for 37 years or so, and uh, he's formerly the uh, associate pastor of this church, and then he was the senior pastor of this church, and then he was associated pastor of this church, and then he was the senior pastor of this church, and, and, and now he's the emeritus elder skipper of this church, and so we're glad that he's here to be with us when he's, I'm always glad to see John and when he's in town. Anyway, come on up, John. We're going to hear the word of the Lord. I think we should receive him. Give him a good warm welcome today. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Um, I like this church. Yeah, it always feels good to be here. This is my church. Got my my feet planted here. And the rest of the time, I'm pretty well backslidden. I used to uh, pastor here, and uh, about every summer I take off, seems like, for half a year and hardly darken the door of a church, I have to confess. There's not many out in the, on the main, but uh, I'm a worshiper of God in spirit and truth, and uh, his grace and faith never leave me. I so appreciate Mike and Ev and their hearts for this church and the the strategic time that they came to um, be the pastors and uh, just know that their pastoral heart is the glue that holds this place together along with all your love and your gifts. And uh, God has a great future for this church. We're going to talk about that a little more probably. But um, here's my assignment today, I think, from God. It's a pretty basic one, pretty simple one. And... uh, Brought my own this time. To borrow them last time. This helps. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders in every church, having prayed, with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Uh, speaking and their hearing. And uh, I want to talk to you about your faith this morning. And uh, so, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Um, you know, I, I uh, was also reading where Jesus was talking about, actually, Pastor Mike brought it up a few weeks ago about um, how we ought to always pray and not give up. He was on a series of prayer. And then the statement that Jesus says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And that that statement always kind of hit me here, you know, like, shows me the Lord is human. I mean, he's the son of God. I would sort of think he'd say, well, of course, there's going to be faith in the earth. I already know I'm coming with 10,000s of angels, and I'm going to come and split the sky, and there'll be the ones who will be caught up in the air. And, you know, like, should there be any doubt that people will have faith in earth? Uh, but in that moment, knowing 
human nature, knowing our frailty, something on a heart level, I think, not so much an intellectual, after 2,000 years or however long he knows it's going to be, this plaintive question, will the Son of Man find faith on earth? That's quite a question. It's quite a question to our hearts because the one thing you can give God really is your faith. To be faithful. Faithful means full of faith that you still believe. After all that you might go through, after all that transpires on this earth, knowing all the tribulation, he said, and and telling the saints that through much, much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom when he was strengthening their faith. And Jesus knows all that's going to happen, and, and will they survive it? Um, so i got to ask myself. I'm asking you this morning. So faith is such an important thing. So, so, so what can happen to your faith? How many of you got faith? Good. I would suspect most of you would say you do. Probably wouldn't be in church if you didn't. Well, let's just go through the list. What is, what is faith? One, it's a precious gift from God. We're saved by faith, by grace. And that not of ourselves, it's a what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the faith that you have is a gift from God. You didn't do it. You didn't create it. You didn't talk yourself into it. It's imparted to you. Can faith be lost? What do you think? How many of you think faith can be lost? Well, no, not too many of you think so. Well, that's a big question. I was thinking about that, and I thought I started to look up verses. You know, the easy way to do verses these days is not the concordance. If Google's become the, you know, you can put anything in Google and find it quick. So, you know, I Googled up losing your faith, lost faith. You know what? I can hardly find, matter of fact, I couldn't find a Bible verse that says lost faith or losing your faith. It says a lot of other things. I kind of rather think we probably misplaced our faith somewhere. That's becoming an increasing issue for me. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I have to go looking for my cell phone about six times a day. Uh, I think faith is something that you're more likely to lay aside than to actually lose. I don't know. You can do a study and correct me if you want. It says we can have weak faith or we can have strong faith. Jesus, you know, out in the boat, oh, ye of little faith. What, why, are you so, why are you so timid? <laughs> well, partly, Lord, because this whole storm came up and the waves were crashing over the boat. And, you know, like, who's going to just say, oh, no problem? But his comment was, oh, you, you have little faith. So you can have little faith. You can have great faith, like the woman who said, Lord, even the dogs can eat the crumbs from the master's table. You just speak the word. He said, great is your faith, woman. Or the centurion, I've not seen so great a faith in all of Israel. So you can have great faith. You can have weak faith. One thing's for sure, according to 1 Peter 7, faith's going to be tested. What does 
First Peter one seven say. Anybody quote it? But the trial of your what? Faith. So you've got this stuff called faith somehow. Gift of God. It's sitting in you. It will be tested. Just count on it. Cool thing, which being tested is being refined like what? Gold. And is more precious than gold. There's nothing more precious than your faith. In God's eyes, it's a gem, it's a jewel, it's exceeding riches, the most important riches that you have on this earth and the one to come is your faith. But it's going to be tested and become more refined. It can be built up and strengthened. I'm hoping to do that today. There's another thing Scripture says. It can be shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Uh, apparently you can hit some reefs and shoals and rocks and your faith can get pretty badly beat up, torn up, even, again, I don't know if you'd lose it, but it can sure trash on you. You can think you've lost it. So I'm coming in in September with my second-to-last charter, and I have five ladies on board. And Liza's on that one. And we come into the dock in Lund to drop them off. And everything had been tickety-boo all summer. Come in in my usual jaunty, overconfident way. On a boat, you come in at 45 degrees. And you kind of come in pretty fast. You don't just uh, molly, molly coddle along. And then you throw it in reverse. And you pull the stern right into the dock. And everybody goes, wow, Nothing. And my wife, <laughs> my wife's always cool as a cucumber through anything. Is sitting on the front. She's usually telling me what to do. And, when, you know, the dock's getting closer. She's on it. She's on everything, you know. But I could hear her voice getting shriller and shriller. Reverse. 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 And I'm going... I don't have forward, I don't have reverse, I don't have nothing, and just ran right into the dock. The bowsprit hit the little hut on the dock. It was about 10 by 10. Knocked it right off its pins, over a foot. I'm totally embarrassed. The cool captain just, you know, is in trouble. And and so through a bunch of uh, sudden and... Uh, creative action. We got hold of the boat, threw the guy a rope, we turned it around, got it in, and I unloaded these people. They said, bye-bye. <laughs> Don't know what you're going to do about that one, Captain. I was just really glad that didn't happen out in the Thule weed somewhere. Uh, and then I was left to uh, to uh, figure out what I was going to do. Had to cancel the last charter. I, I thought, well, maybe it was just a physical linkage thing or something, but then I got down below, turned on the engine again, I heard, that didn't sound good. <laughs> and it wasn't. So, uh, that first little slide you want to put up there? I got a few illustrated pictures. Um, that's a picture of the part that 
The part on the right, that circly thing, turned into the thing on the left. So in a marine boat, that's a drive plate. And the drive plate basically got shredded. Down below, you see what happened to me this fall. There's what your hip joint's supposed to look like. And after they hack it off and put a new one in, then you get the metal one. And you look like that sorry fellow in the lower right-hand corner. So you can take that off. Um, so Porpoise and I went in for major repairs this winter. <laughs> uh, BC Medical paid for mine, and I'm paying for Porpoise. So I'm feeling quite a bit lighter. Once my mechanic got in there, he said, you got problems beyond your drive plate. And at present, it's over in Campbell River getting a whole rebuild of the engine. So uh, if anybody wants to charter this summer and uh, pay me some money, it would be really welcome. Just kidding. Um, so there are incidents. There is shipwreck. Now, that's not exactly a shipwreck. But let me tell you, when you're out on a boat and you're in deep water, uh, as I have a number of times been fishing off a coast three, 400 feet of water. And I remember one time, especially, all of a sudden, the depth finder went up to 14. I went, I'm in the middle of nowhere. And suddenly, it's 14 feet deep. I look over the side, and there's bottom. Like, the shock, the feeling that I never expected this, uh, it's frightening. Captain Vancouver, there's a rock called Vancouver Rock up by Clem 2. And when he was poking around here one day, that happened to him. And he's next thing you know, he's on a rock, and he's two days getting off. It's a horrible thing to get shipwrecked. It's a scary thing. But you know with your faith, there are times you can hit rocks. Anybody ever hit a rock? Anybody ever hit a reef? Anybody ever feel like you'll never get off that reef? I don't know if my faith is going to survive it. Well, it is true. Things can happen to your faith. So Paul said, I want to build you up in your most holy faith. The most valuable thing you have sitting here is your faith. I'm here to build you up in it. It's holy. It's from God. So the three things I want to say about it. Uh, one is uh, you need to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith, Hebrews 11. Come on, I want to see those Bibles turn. I know Pastor Mike puts those verses up there for you, and that's great. But uh, I want you to look at your own Bible. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance we're just doing three verses this morning. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm sorry, I quote in King James because when I was young, I memorized in King James. But I kind of like it. By it, the elders obtained a good report. Faith is substance. Faith is hypostasis is the word. It's the support. It's the ground. Faith is something rooted in your spirit. Now, this little bullseye, by the way, if you have a pen, you know, write down whatever sticks, okay? Uh, and this has been up there many times, but you are a tripart being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in the body. Where does faith reside in that tripart being, do you think? 
somebody tell me? What are you mumbling there, Pastor? He says spirit. How many think spirit? Or how many of you think in your soul, in your mind, is where you believe? Okay, Pastor thinks that too. The rest of you are kind of, I don't know, maybe. How many of you think it's in your body? Probably not. Okay, I want to reaffirm that the ground, the support, the foundation, faith is the substance, the ground of things hoped for is in your spirit. It's a spiritual faculty. Now, it's really important to understand that because your mind can get trashed on. Your experience in your body can go through all sorts of convolutions. And, and if faith just resides out there, it's pretty likely to get shipwrecked one way or another. But faith is rooted in your spirit. It's a gift of God. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle. Some men have faith and some don't. And then I start struggling with Calvinism. Are some elect and some not? Well, we're not getting into that theological question. But my thought behind Calvinism Calvinism is, that's just not fair. If some men have faith and some don't, the ones that don't, they don't. What do you expect them to do about it? So then they get sent to hell? Do you ever have questions like that? No. Yes? Sure you do. I can't resolve that for you this morning, by the way. Uh, But I will say this. I believe faith is a gift of God imparted to every spirit. You have faith resident in your spirit. It can be built up. It can be strengthened. It can be enlivened. It can be weakened. But it's there. Now, there are some theological questions and not quite sure. Scripture does say not all men have faith. And I don't know what happened there. But I'm saying you have a stewardship with your faith. And your faith is another thing that's in your spirit is your conscience. The right and wrong thing. You know, the eh, 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 eh. And no matter where your mind gets to say, oh, this isn't so bad and that's not wrong and that's not right, there, you still get the eh, 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 right? That's because there's, you're wired inside to witness to the morality of God. And you won't get away from it. And that's where your faith is too. Now, Jesus said, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And he was talking to the Pharisees. He said, you do not know where I came from, where I'm going, and you don't know where you came from and where you're going. That's a big problem. How many of you know it's important to know where you came from? And to know where you're going. It's existential. Like if you haven't asked that question that Goethe, the German philosopher, proposed. What? Or should I say, whence? What? Whither? The question is, whence? Where did I come from? What? What am I? Whither? Where am I going? That's really important for you to answer. Now, how many ever read, ever uh, here are readers of Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, yeah. Come on, Calvin and Hobbes. Well, you know Calvin's answer to that question. I think he even quotes Goethe. He says, "Ah, well, he said, 
Whence? What? Whither? I'm a boy. I just came from the kitchen. I have big plans, and I'm going to the backyard. And a lot of us in life are kind of like Calvin. Well, I'm not asking that in a huge context, but, you know, I'm going to school, and then I'm going to be a this, and I'm going to do that, and then maybe I'll get married, and I'll have some kids. And, and so we, we've got that answered a little bit. I came from Alabama, and I'm going to do these things, and then, and then I'm finished. I got some good news for you. Um, first, I want to tell you a little journey that I took the Bentley family on uh, over the last couple of years. You want to put the first slide up? Uh, Eileen and Rick came out with Lies and I on Purpose uh, for a weekend a couple of summers ago. And you see this little island? It's between Texada and Laskiti. It's out in the middle of the Straits of Georgia. And it's a place we anchor a lot of times. Great little island. It's a park now. Well, Eileen had told me, I, actually I never knew historically until she told me, but her grandfather and great-grandfather actually were pioneers and settled on that island. I mean, there's nothing on that island except the remnants of a little farmhouse that her great-grandfather built at the turn of the century. And her grandfather uh, actually homesteaded there and farmed there. So her father was born shortly after they came back from the island. They had some tragedies there. But anyway, Eileen lived all this time to adulthood, had never been there. And I'd been there all kinds of times. I said, Eileen, you have to go there. So Liza and I took them. We had an amazing time uh, walking over where the footsteps of her forefathers trod. Cool experience, eh? And so then she came back and said, I want to do this again, but I want to do it with my whole tribe. Well, the whole tribe for the Bentleys is four kids, spouses, grandchildren. So next picture, uh, they said, can you take us all? So that's purpose. That's my ship. And uh, next picture, that's in Pender Harbor. They showed up. Now, you can't see the full scope of it there, but let me tell you, they showed up. I mean, they showed up with sleeping bags, with bags of groceries, with propane tanks, with barbecues, with kid carriers for babies. And, I mean, they just kept coming and kept coming. I couldn't believe it. They kept coming down the dock. And that was just one moment. That's my tender, just loaded to the hilt. You'd think they were going to stay there two months. It was a one-night affair. And I don't have pictures of it. You should see the getting them to shore. Because they weren't all staying on my boat. Let me tell you, 17 people or whatever it was. So they brought tents and everything, and we took them all in indeed. But we made it, and they did it, and they walked all over the island. Really cool experience to see somebody know a little bit more about where they came from, and that helps you answer where you're going. The last picture there is Rick and Eileen and their four kids. There's another picture with all the grandchildren, too. And that shack you see in the background, which is totally deserted now, was built by her great-grandfather. And the rest of the island, they traipsed over and thought, this is where they were, this is where they hunted, this is where they raised sheep. Cool Roots experience.
I had to just share that. There isn't another one, is there? No. Okay. Aren't they good looking, those two? For Let's hear it for Rick and Eileen. Yay. So I've done a little bit of the roots thing, and I'm not going to go into that now. I've probably mentioned it before, but I can try, trace both sides of my family, the Clarks, back to the 1700s, and I can trace the vinyls on my mother's side back to 1630. And that's pretty fun to do. One of the tragedies of American slavery is that they got rid of last names. And you were no longer Tom, whatever your African name was. You're just good old Tom. And the tragedy of that is you don't know where you came from and you don't know where you're going because your last name gives you history, gives you a sense. It's become a, a big industry now where you check your DNA or you go to the Mormons and they, you know, find out where you came from. But how many of you know some of them, some of that might lead you to your horse thief, bank robber ancestors? <laughs> like it might be a good experience or it might be not so great one. Anybody ever see the movie Hitch? Yeah, I remember when they ended up in New York Harbor and they went back and he thought it was really cool. He showed when her ancestor came into New York. <laughs> she had this really bad reaction because it turned out he was like Jack the Ripper. Uh, so I don't know what your ancestry holds, but I got some good news from you. Eventually, you can get back to Adam and Eve. You're a human. You have loyalty here. This is your planet. You're supposed to be here. You were created by God. Now, I've got better news for you. Do you know what your last name really is? Doug Hornsby. What do you think? Christian. Christ won. By it, the elders obtained a good report. Your relatives are not just biologically. They're spiritual. They're born again. They're born of the seed of the Word of God. John Wesley is a relative of yours. Paul is related to you. St. Ignatius is related to you. You go all the way back to Moses and beyond, to Cain and Abel, to Adam. But in the Christian sense, since we got born of the Spirit, your last name's Christian. And nobody should hang their head over that heritage. But faith is a substance. Faith is the root. Faith is the foundation. By faith, second that. Want to build up your faith to say it's got roots, it's got foundations, it's in your spirit, and it's there. Just have to awaken it. Just have to draw on it. Secondly, by faith, you understand. How many of you just don't get it in this life a lot of times? I just don't get it. Well, life is like that. <laughs> it's it designed to confuse you to be complex, to not add up how you think it should. But by faith, you understand. Now, there may be times where you don't understand at all, but by faith, you understand. Through many trials, we must enter into the kingdom. There are times when I just don't get it, I just don't get it. I have had some serious times in my life where I just don't get it. In the Christian journey, this wasn't supposed to turn out like this. And it didn't resolve in the immediate. 
Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes a lifetime to get the whole picture. How many of you know if you're in a ship and it's in a storm and you're down below in a cabin, the waves just toss you about, hitting the walls, falling on the floor, banging your head against things. It's a rough place to be. But the captain sitting up in the bridge has the big view. He sees the waves coming. He anticipates them. He's a seasoned sailor. He, he knows how to go across these waters. If you're really getting thrown around in the cabin, get back up on the deck. <laughs> Look at the horizon. Look at the big picture. By faith, you are saved through grace, that not of yourself. You have the eternal seed in you. Your life and its details are all part of God's plan, and you're walking a faith journey that no one else can walk, and just keep faith without seeing, but by faith you can understand. Now, I don't know. I think we live in a world of false information and hoaxes even. I call them hoaxes that affect the thinking of the whole world. And you and I are influenced by them. Principalities and powers. Uh, philosophies. Approaches. And all of this comes against your faith. One of my pet ones is what, what I call, I'm sorry, you may think I'm scientifically Neanderthal or something. But I think evolution is a hoax. Now, some of you who are university educated, I am too, are scientific bent. You know, increasingly people are, can we really believe that God created the earth in six days? Can we really believe that God made it all? Come on, with all this information, all this science. Well, you know, you can still be a Christian and struggle with that or come up with different conclusions. First verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God says it all. If I believe in one little miracle, that Jesus walked on the water or that he healed someone who was incurable, that opens the door for all of the rest. If God can do a little, he can do a lot. By faith, we understand that the worlds, the ages, were framed by the word of God. You want to put those little pictures of that fish up there? Now, against just that basic belief, I believe in God. I believe he created the heavens and the earth. You are bombarded with things. This came on BBC uh, in their nature series. It was called the dragonfish. He looks pretty fearsome, doesn't he? Well, he ain't around anymore. He's supposed to be the precursor through evolution of number of crocodiles and sharks and things we have these days. I'm glad I don't meet him out there in the deep. Next one. But apparently, these guys are scattered all over the coast of England. And that's one of the skeletons that unearthed. So it's not somebody's story. They're not making up these guys who we don't see anymore. And there are hundreds of them buried in the cliffs of Dover. Cool. And the final one, that's where they're buried. 
Now, this whole BBC special, and David Attenborough was there. You know, I love David Attenborough's voice, you know, just like Winnie the Pooh all over. You know, it's just cool. I love listening to him. But there's David Attenborough looking at the teeth, and, you know, he's, he's going on. And his, I, I'd try to imitate it, but I wouldn't do good. Uh, and this whole thing is dedicated to cast in, framed in evolution. These, these critters got there. In the Mesozoic era, et cetera, et cetera, millions of years. And in the middle of it, he says, now this one still even has its skin on it. And I'm going, has its skin on it? Okay, I can see a bone making it for a while. But how on earth does a creature like that still have skin on it buried in the cliffs of Dover? Now, any just simpleton knows that you drop a fish or a creature in the water, it is gone in a couple of weeks. All the crabs, all the everybody eats everything. And even the bones don't last that long. Apparently in Nantucket, they had a sperm whale washed in, and they wanted to preserve it for their museum. So some bright-eyed individual brought out a digger, and they dug a huge trench, and they threw the whale in the trench, and they covered it up. And they thought, well, we'll come back in a couple of years, and we'll have a great skeleton. <laughs> they came back in a couple of years, and they dug up a putrid mess. It looked more like an oil deposit. Hmm. So then they said, let's take it out in the bay. They dragged it out, and they dropped it in the bay. And within a couple of months, that skeleton was clean as a whistle. So we have hundreds, thousands of these guys, these fish with, that look like that, in these cliffs. Well, what does your logical mind say? These guys died one at a time and fell into the sand and got covered up somehow? No, these guys got covered up quickly through landslides, through cataclysmic events, and they got buried all at once. Now, I know I preached this before, but I'm preaching it again, Sorry. But you were bombarded with information and, and philosophies and ideas that sweep the earth and they're designed to undermine your faith. Because if you can't believe God created the heavens and the earth, it's pretty difficult to believe he's got the power or inclination to do anything else for you. So we don't even know how our faith gets undermined. But know this, by faith, we understand. There's a faculty of understanding that goes beyond your rational understanding. It's rooted in your spirit, the spiritual mind. A spiritual man judges all things. A carnal man does not. And a spiritual man can't be judged because there's an intuition. There's a knowledge that goes deeper. Now, I'm throwing out my third point because we've gone long enough here. But are, are you all good for to close with a little poetry? How many of you ever into poetry a little bit? I was thinking, you know, I'd do a recitation. <laughs> Let's see if Pastor Mike, if there's a stool I could sit on and everything. And uh, there's a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay called Renaissance. How many of you have ever read it? Okay, well, let me just give you a little 
cultural boost. Go look up on the internet St. Vincent Millay and look up her poem, Renaissance, R-E-N-A-S-C-E-N-C-E. I was going to read it, but then it's like four pages long. (laughs) So I thought that wouldn't go over well. And I usually use up too much time anyway, so I'm not going to add to my problems by doing that. But it's, it's a person going through death and resurrection through their own journey, and it mirrors Christ's journey, and it's pretty cool. Let, let me just better put my glasses on. Read to you her concluding stanzas. She wrote this when she was 20, and uh, it was in the 1800s. So she ends up in the grave. She comes out again, and, and she's raised up with this new sense about creation, about the world she lives in. And here's how she ends it. About the trees, my arms I wound. Like one God man, I hugged the ground. I raised my quivering arms on high and laughed and laughed into the sky. Till at my throat, a strangling sob caught fiercely and a great heart throb sent instant tears into my eyes. Oh God, I cried, no dark disguise can e'er hereafter hide from me thy radiant identity. Thou canst not move across the grass, but my quick eyes will see thee pass. Nor speak however silently, but my hushed voice will answer thee. I know the patch that tells thy way through the cool eve of every day. God, I can push the grass apart and lay my finger on thy heart. Ooh, that is so good. I push the grass apart and lay my finger on God's heart. By faith, we understand. By faith, we look into the heavens and we look around us and something in here goes, God, God, God. These things are understood, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. The world stands out on either side, no wider than the heart is wide. Above the world is stretched the sky, no higher than the soul is high. The heart can push the sea and land farther away on either hand. The soul can split the sky in two and let the face of God shine through. But east and west will pinch the heart that cannot keep them pushed apart. And he whose soul is flat, the sky will cave in on him by and by. I just love that. The richness of that expression of a 20-year-old. The soul that's flat. Can we have a flat soul? Can we be so crushed by east and west Life closing in on you that you can't keep them apart anymore. It's like the world swallowing you up. You can't see through the sky. I know I'm talking about nature, but I'm also talking about the spiritual realities where we need to push the grass apart and lay our finger on God's heart. I want to call you to faith 
to persevere in faith, to see God in every circumstance, to trust and get handles on the things that hinder you being able to rest quietly because it's so much beyond your control. (laughs) It's all beyond your control. And if you find in yourself, I just can't do it, well, then you're just human. But I'm telling you, that faith is there. It's not shipwrecked. It's not lost. It may be weakened. But it's exercised, and it'll become greater and greater and greater. My third point was about, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than that of Cain. And that's about how faith is rooted in the blood sacrifice rather than our efforts and our works before God. That'll have to wait for another time. But Pastor Mike is going to lead us in communion. And that thought, at least, leads us to partaking of the body and blood of Christ together, which I hope is a stirring for your faith.